Praise the Lord. We're going to go to Luke chapter 16, the Gospel of Luke. And chapter number 16, if you will. Luke chapter 16. <clears throat> Good to have the Glazemans in service with us. Brother Jeff and Miss Esther are here. We're going to start the nursery remodel uh, here. Well, we kind of started, but anyway, a lot to do, and I'm glad that they're here. We'll have the nursery remodel, and then I've got something else I've been thinking about, and then I've got some other plans, and just make yourself at home, Brother Jeff. It's going to be a good time here at Riverside Baptist Church. No, we're really glad to have you here. Glad that y'all could be with us. They're homesteading in our backyard. You probably saw their home out there anyway. Glad they're here with us. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Talking about Jesus, the Bible says, And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer a steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg I'm ashamed. I'm resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him, and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then said he to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, An hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward, because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. I want to try to preach to you tonight on this subject, true friends and true riches. Let's pray and we'll get right on into it. Heavenly Father, just one, one more time, we are so glad to be here tonight. And Father, it's no accident that whoever is here and whoever is watching by live stream, it's no accident that they are doing so. And so we ask, Lord, that you would open up minds and hearts, and ears and eyes, and help us to receive the message that you have for us tonight, Lord, that we'd be very open to however you might want to speak to our heart, and that we might respond in such a way that's going to bring you honor and glory in the long run. We need your power to preach this. We're trusting you for that because we ask 
these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing for the reading of the Word of God. Please do be seated. In 1978, Lee Iacocca defected from the Ford Motor Company where he'd been president there for eight years to become president of the Chrysler Corporation. Uh, Less than one year later, he already had made it to chairman and CEO of that company. And when Mr. Iacocca went to Chrysler, the company was on the verge of bankruptcy. Uh, It had steadily lost market shares for several years. And Mr. Iacocca's job was to save the company and make it profitable once again. Uh, in, in his biography, it, it outlines how he did that. It started by restructuring and downsizing management, and then he won concessions of his employees. He brokered, he brokered a $1.2 billion loan. Okay, it makes my mind hurt just thinking about something like that. And then he successfully argued for tax waivers from Congress and got that done. But in themselves, all those things, none of those things saved Chrysler. They cut costs, they raised some capital, but to make money, Chrysler had to begin selling more cars. They had to sell cars, a lot more cars. So Mr. Iacocca visited the research and development department. He poked around and he asked them, he said, what do you guys have on the back burner that you feel really good about? I mean, something innovative, something new. What, what do you got? And so they started a discussion and it went something like this. The guy said, well, you know, the station wagon's really a dinosaur. It's obsolete, you know, but we still think there's a market for a large family Vehicle, something versatile, something roomy, you know, that hauls like a van, but it drives like a car. And so Mr. Iacocca said, well, what do you have in mind? He said, well, we don't know what to call it exactly, but it's sort of like a minivan. And as they say, the rest is history. And the minivan was taken off the drawing board and put into production. And in 1983 and entered the marketplace, quickly becoming the best-selling vehicle that Chrysler had ever produced, and one of the very most popular cars in America. And with the introduction of the minivan, Chrysler was back on the road to profitability. Now, I want to make three comments that will show you how this story fits into the text and then get on into the message. Number one is this, when Iacocca was handed the reins of the Chrysler Corporation, he became a steward of that, a steward. What do you mean, preacher? Well, the company did not belong to him. It was not his to do as he pleased to do. Iacocca's job was to take the resources of the Chrysler Corporation and put them to work to make money for the company, for the company. Uh, The point of that is that a steward, now listen to this, a steward serves to fulfill the desires and expectation of the owner. See, he takes what belongs to someone else and uses it to benefit that person. And and then number two, Lee Iacocca was handsomely rewarded for turning Chrysler around. And the point to that comment is this, a steward benefits from his stewardship indirectly. Uh, he, he must trust in the generosity of his master to reward him for doing his job well. 
And then number three, the saving of the Chrysler Corporation is credited to Mr. Iacocca's shrewdness in business because he was resourceful, he knew how to make opportunities and then capitalize on them. And in a world of business, in the world of business, Lee Iacocca knew how to make things happen. Now, the steward in this uh, parable that we read tonight bears little resemblance to Mr. Iacocca. What do you mean, preacher? Well, instead of making money for the man he worked for, he wasted his goods. Come on, we read it right there. He he, he wasted his goods. The word wasted there in verse number one, uh, uh, um, there was a certain rich man which had a steward and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his good. And that word wasted there in verse number one is this very same word used of the prodigal son over in Luke chapter 15 and verse number 13. He wasted his goods. And what it means is that he spent and he invested his master's goods and he had nothing to show for it. It just went to nothing. There was no return for it whatsoever. The the steward, now get this, the steward was not embezzling the funds. That's not what was going on. He wasn't skimming money from the prophets, if that had been the case. If that had been the case, you know, when he got fired there, he would have just thumbed his nose at his employer, moved off to the Riviera, lived off the money he had stashed away in his Swiss bank account. Okay, that might be stretching a little far, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. But instead, he was very, very worried about where his next meal would come from. What am I going to do now? So he wasn't really a crook. Now get this. He wasn't really a crook. He was just a bad manager. Instead of being rewarded for this success, he would be fired because of his failure to do what he needed to do with what was allotted to him, what he was trusted with at the time. And he knew that his Lord looked at the books. He knew that when his, his Lord looked at the books, they would show that he had a lot of money going out, but nothing coming in. So what he did, he began to weigh his options. What can I do here? Uh, and he said it, I'm not physically fit enough to dig ditches. I can't dig. And he was too embarrassed to beg. I don't want to have to beg for anything. So can you imagine him just pacing the floor, you know, chewing antacids and saying, what am I going to do now? What, what am I supposed to do now? And it seemed like suddenly he comes up with this plan that he believes is going to win him some friends. Now get this, going to win him some friends who will be more than happy to take care of his needs. He's not going to have this job. So what he did, he began to call in those that were in debt to his Lord. And he says to one of them, well, how much do you owe? And the guy says, well, I want a hundred measures of oil. A hundred measures. Well, I know you probably can't pay that much, but what about 50? Can you pay 50? I mean, you probably do that, can't you? All right, 50 it is. So just sign this slip right here, make arrangements and payment with the clerk over there. And he calls the next guy and he says, how much do you owe? And he says, well, I owe a hundred measures of wheat. And he said, well, your crops have done pretty good this year, but not quite that good. Could you possibly do 80? Could you, could you do 80? You'd probably do 80, couldn't you? Uh, that's great. Just sign this slip and make arrangements to pay the clerk. And in the end of all of this, the Lord commends the steward for his shrewdness. 
for his shrewdness. Stay with me here. I'm headed somewhere. He cut some of the losses. He brought in some capital. Uh, He made some friends that might be willing to show their gratitude in a way uh, more tangible than just a thank you or a pat on the back. And then Jesus wraps up the parable in verse number 8. By saying that the rich man commended the steward for his last minute stroke of genius. And then he tells us why. For the children of the world, and he's talking about, listen to me, he's talking about the people that have no hope beyond this life. The children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. The children of life, a a Bible term that's used to describe a Christian. So verse number eight is the key to understanding this parable. See, Jesus is teaching a lesson by by contrast. Um, he, He says, this is the way unbelievers operate. In their generation, uh, in their limited time frame, because that is what a generation is, one lifetime. And in their generation, they know how to make the most of this world. And they know how to wheel and deal while they're here. And they know how to use money and to make friends that can help them out whether they're in a bind or maybe just to reach the next rung on a ladder as they're climbing up the ladder of success. But the children of light, those that know Christ, Christians, are not to live like that. We're not to be like that. That should not be our mindset. Y'all still with me here? Somebody say amen. They're not to be like that. We're not to handle money like that. That's not the way that it should be. When it comes to money, we're to handle it with a different set of values. Jesus said, the worldly are wiser in their generation than believers. Well, good grief preacher, why would he say something like that? Because they dedicate so much energy and effort to caring for their earthly welfare. People that don't know the Lord, they, they don't know any different except than to just take care of things that are on this earth, things of this life. I mean, that's all they're thinking about, right? Come on, they're not thinking about they're not thinking about uh, they're not thinking about storing up places in heaven. All they're thinking about is is how can I make the next dollar and how can I make more money and how can I have a bigger house and how can I have a better car and how can I have more stuff and more stuff and then some more stuff and a little bit more stuff. That's pretty much the mindset of this world today, isn't it? More and more and more and more and more. And the point is clear. Every disciple, every believer should be just as dedicated and just as sold out, listen to me, in their spiritual pursuits as the worldly are in their material pursuits. Just as sold out. The believer... According to Jesus, the believer is not to be outdone in their exertion of energy and dedication. Not to be outdone. Somehow I think that we get it on our mind sometime or whatever. 
I think we get it. I, I, I think if we're not careful, we get to thinking that we as believers, we as Christians, we as, as Jesus followers, that it's almost like we're second class citizens. Mercy sakes alive, son. You're a child of God. Why would you ever think you're a second class citizen? Why, why would you ever think that you're a little lower than the people of this world? And I'm not talking about being in such a way that we look down our nose at everybody, anybody. You know how I feel about all that. That's not what I'm talking about. But mercy, we don't have to feel like we're second-class citizens either. And we should be working. No, no, no. We take care of our family and all that. But we should be working and we should be putting effort and we should be putting energy toward the things of heaven. Because that's all that's going to last. You're not taking anything with you. It's not going to happen. Not at all. So let me let me let me let me let me bring three points here, and then we'll all choose upsides and go have a cup of coffee, and then go home. Number one, we are to use our money to establish eternal relationships. We use our money to establish eternal relationships. He said to make friends, that's command, who will receive you into eternal habitations, to heaven. Well, preacher, how do we do that? Well, by giving to a ministry, listen, by giving to a ministry that reaches people for Jesus Christ. That's how we do that. We invest in souls. There's only one thing on this earth that's going to last forever, and that's the soul. That's the only thing that's going to last forever and ever. When a man or woman or a boy or girl is one to Christ, a relationship is established for eternity. It's never going to end. You know, I think about it. When I get to heaven, when I get to heaven, there's a few people I'm looking forward to seeing and thanking for their contributions to God. Oh, no, I want to see. And really, I'm really hoping I know the background of all of it. I mean, I know that some people came by my house and gave me a New Testament. I, I know that some people had some contributions to that, and I'm very, very thankful for that. Look, I believe that there are going to be people in heaven that want to say thank you to those who gave to God through a local New Testament church so that church could have a bus ministry and a youth department and a choir and a preacher and air conditioning and carpet on the floor and tracks to pass out and door hangers to hang. No, no, no. I'm telling you, all the things that work together to make it possible for them to hear the gospel and receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I think that we're going to want to thank the people that were responsible for being a part of all of that. I really do believe that when Pam and I get to heaven, we're going to be welcomed by people from Ghana and Pakistan and Russia and India and Mexico and many other places, many, many other places, because we have invested in faith promise missions. We've had a part without people getting saved around this world. And right here in St. Joseph, as far as that goes. When you give to a ministry that reaches people, you're making friends that are going to last for eternity. And I think that's what makes giving worthwhile. It's an amazing thing to think about, isn't it? Truly. Number two... You said you had three points. I do. And I'm already at number two. Man, look, it is amazing. Absolutely amazing. 
The most important part of our stewardship is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Three times in verses 10 through 12, Jesus emphasizes the quality of faithfulness. Of faithfulness. Look at it again, verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust, uh, to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? So, let's think about this question then. What is faithfulness in the stewardship, the stewardship of our money? What is, what is, what is faithfulness in that? Well, number one, we manage it the way that pleases God. Come on, we use our money in a way that pleases God. Uh, number two, we regularly and consistently and systematically give to God through tithes and offerings. Because that's God's plan. Come on, it's God's plan to take care of the local church. It's God's plan to get the gospel out around the world. It is God's plan. I know absolutely so. 1 Corinthians 16.1 says this, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him. So tithing, listen, tithing is not just an investment in souls. It isn't just an act of obedience. No, no, no. It's a way of saying, it's a way of saying thank you to God for his provision that week. He provided for you that week. And it's a way of saying thank you for what he has given us. We take account, please get this, we take account of how God has blessed us and we lay aside that we, uh, we lay aside what we are to give God and then when the offering plate comes by, we give it, um, we give it with gratitude for the great blessing of God. It, it's thrilling to be able to put money in the offering plate, isn't it? <laughs> Well, it is for some of you. No, it really should be. Absolutely so. Come on. It says that God loves a cheerful giver. And to think that God blesses us. He blesses us. And to think that if we give Him what He asks for, that He's going to take what we have left and bless that. And use that in such a way that it probably do more than what the other would have done if we'd have kept it all. Come on, that's our God. Oh, mercy, that sounds like you just, that sounds like you believe that really happened. Oh, I know it really happened. Absolutely so. No, no, you cannot outgive God. You can't do it. No, no, you can't. You can't, you can't, you can't. And when you rob God, when you aren't giving the way that God would have you to give, you're under a curse. No, no, your money will not go as far. I don't mind saying it. I'll say it again. You're under a curse. You're robbing God. You're not giving to God what is rightfully His. And you're not giving the way that God would have you to give. You're robbing God and you're under a curse. I'm telling you, your money's not going to go near, far, near as far. Now, I, no, I'm telling you, he, he may make your, he may, he may, he may make your tires last longer. He may make your car go without repair. He may make your health good. He may make your shoes last longer. <clears throat> That's why you don't need as many shoes, Miss Marshall. You really don't need that many shoes. But I guess that's a private conversation we ought to have sometime. And then not right here in the pulpit, whatever the case may be. 
That's bad. I'll pay for that later. I'll pay for that later. No, I'm telling you, God can take whatever you have left. No, I'm talking about you giving the way that God would have you to give, and God can take whatever you have left, and He can make it go further than 100% would have gone. There's not a doubt about it in my mind. I can say that till the cows come home. And after they get home, I'm telling you, God is faithful. Come on, we started out talking about faithfulness, and God is faithful. Absolutely so. And as we give the way that He would have us to give, He is going to make sure that we are taken care of, that our needs are met along the way. I said, as we give the way that God would have us to give, you're just trying to get in our pocket. I'm not just trying to get in your pocket. Not at all. No, 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 no. I've said it a hundred times, maybe a thousand times. I don't know. I don't want you to give one dime more than what God would have you to give, but I don't want you to give one dime less. Don't do it. You're, you're beating yourself. You're cheating yourself. I, I'm telling you, no, I, I, we just need to give the way that God would have us to give. It, it's not just an investment in the soul. We're thanking God for being so good. I mean, we're able to put money in the offering plate. Well, preacher, it's not like, you know, but you know, I mean, my tithe even is not that much. I, I'm telling you, I, I believe this wholeheartedly. If everybody in Riverside Baptist Church would tithe and give the way that God would have them to give, we'd never suffer any uh, lack for anything. How can you say that? Because it's God's plan. It is absolutely God's plan. And so if everybody that's a member would give the way that God, just the way that God would have them to give, prayerfully give that way, we'd never lack for anything. We'd probably have an overabundance. I believe that. I truly do believe that. And I'm thankful. People at Riverside Baptist Church... The ones that, I mean, boy, we, we are blessed around here. No doubt about that. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not poor mouthing at all. I mean, Lord has blessed us. But, but those that don't give the way that God would have them to give, you're beating yourself out of the blessing. You really are. You really, really are. And then point number three. You just said there's three points. It is. This is the last one. I may have a sub point or two under it, but, you know, don't worry about that part, Okay. Two things that our faithfulness in our finances does. Two things that our faithfulness in our finances does. Number one, it helps us establish faithfulness in other, listen, in other far more important areas of our life. Where do you get that? Verse number 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. A person takes a, please get this, please get this. A person takes a big step in their spiritual maturity when they establish faithfulness in giving. It's a big step. Now, I I remember when God first challenged us about giving after we got saved. It's like, man, what's this tithing thing? Well, you're supposed to do this and this. Well, okay, we can do that. We can, we can do that. But it's, it, no, no, it's a big step. It is. Because then you look at your finances and you go, well, I'm not real sure. <laughs> Come on, we're giving by faith, don't we? Absolutely so. And so, I mean, but it's a big step. It, it's a big step in your spiritual maturity because, no, no, look up here. Because you are trusting God Amen. to meet the need to do what He says He can do. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. 
And so we're trusting God. So it's a, it's a big step when we, when, we, when we establish faithfulness in our giving. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 says this, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And then it says this, I love this, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's completely backward than mo- backward from the way that most people would want to say it. Most people would want to say this, Brother Cole, where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. You know why a lot of people don't care to get involved in church activities and ministry? They don't care enough to give. So they really have no heart in the matter. Come on, I'm not trying to be ugly. Look, I'm not being any meaner than the song leader was tonight, okay? (laughs) He's making me look good. Amen. I'm thankful for that. I'm just trying to tell you the truth here. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it will help your spirituality. It will help your spiritual growth. It will help your faith. It will help more areas in your life than you can even imagine when you get faithful to give the way that God would have you to give. Because see, money is about commitment. We, we give to what we're committed to. And if you haven't figured it out yet, which I'm sure that you have, the Christian life is a committed life. It's a committed life. And when we give like that, it gains for us true riches. True riches, that's what he called it. True riches. And there's a parallelism here. Because God says the same thing two different ways. Unrighteous mammon in verse number 11 is called that which is another man's in verse number 12. Now listen, because this is where, where I started, but we are stewards, you and I. Okay, if you've been saved by the grace of God, nothing that you have really belongs to you. Some people don't like that thought, but it's true, it's true. Everything we have came from God, belongs to God. Everything we have. We are stewards of what we've been given. We're stewards of that. Absolutely, absolutely so. Um, It really all belongs to God. But true riches, in verse number 11, is called that which is your own, in verse number 12. The true riches. That which is your own. So get this, get this, get this. Come on, I'm writing it down. True riches are the things that you do own. Wait, wait a minute, preacher. You say we don't own anything. Oh, no, say, say with me. I, I remember I said that. I know I'm old, but I remember I said that. I remember. The things you own are things that cannot be taken away from you. I'm not following you, preacher. Things like hope and peace, and joy, and love, and contentment. 
Those things that only God can give you, that no one can take away from you, those are your own. Why does an athlete who makes $5,000 or whatever every time he throws a football why does an athlete like that do drugs? Or get involved in things which will end him up in prison? Well, I can tell you why. Because he has money and a lot of it. Excuse me, but he lacks true riches. He has no true riches. You know, when you read the four Gospels, you'll find out that Jesus told about 36 parables. Had about 36 parables. And at least 12 of the parables that He told, that's one in three. At least one in three of the parables that he told involves money. Involves money. So I asked myself, why, why, why is it that Jesus spoke on money so often? And I think I know the reason. Because money, if we're not careful, can so easily replace God in our lives. What are you talking about, preacher? If we're not careful, it is easy to put more trust in our money for possessions and happiness and fulfillment than it is to trust God for those things. If I had more money, I could buy this and I'd be happy. And if I had a little more money, I could buy this and I'd be happy. And if I had a little more money, I could buy this and I'd be really happy. Why is it that there are people in third world countries that live in mud huts with eight or ten children and can talk about the goodness of God and the joy of the Lord. Oh, no, no. We've been there. We've watched them come out of their mud hut with their eight or ten children and just talk about how good God is to them. I think they figured out what true riches is all about. Brother Joey, I'm thankful I don't live in a mud hut. No, I'm I'm thankful that I live in the United States of America, land of opportunity. Where I'm I'm thankful for that. Don't get me wrong. But when that kind of stuff becomes more important than what God does in our life or can do in our life when we want to hang on to our money so we can have more stuff and that becomes more important than investing in the lives of people around the world and even people in St. Joseph, 
we're missing out on true riches. You're missing out on a blessing that only God can give. We can win the battle by practicing a couple of principles. I'm going to give those to you and I'm done. Number one, give faithfully every week as God has prospered. Give faithfully. I'm telling you. No, no, no. It may be hard. There may be some tests along the way as you do that. But I'm guaranteeing you, you'll be blessed because of it. You will be blessed because of it. Give faithfully every week as God has prospered. And then number two, remember the reason for giving. The reasons for giving. As a means to express gratitude for God's blessings. Thank you, Lord, for taking such good care of me. As a means of winning people to Jesus Christ. Come on, I hope you kind of keep up with the prayer letters and the souls that are saved, especially if you're given to faith promise missions because you have a part in that. Every soul that's saved, you had a part in that. But also as a means to gain true riches, the things that really count in life. True riches. Those things that are going to last for eternity. True friends. True riches. I can't wait for that great reunion day in heaven one day. I look forward to seeing mom and dad, absolutely. But I just feel like we're going to be able to meet people that we had a part in getting them to Jesus. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be glorious, isn't it? Boy, we should do everything we can to have a part in that. Giving the way that God would have us to give. We'll never go wrong. We'll never go wrong. Just being faithful to do what God would have us to do in the ways of tithe and offering faith promise missions. We'll never go wrong. Absolutely. Let's stand to our feet. Stand with me, will you? Father, we love you and we're very thankful for you first and foremost. Being our great God, our Heavenly Father, the one that sent His Son his only begotten Son to pay our debt, our sin debt. We're thankful for You. And we're thankful for what You give us. Lord, help us to realize that it all comes from You. And Father, that it is our, uh, it is our blessing to be able to give back part of that to You as You would have us to give. And Lord, I don't know how you may have spoken to people's hearts tonight. I don't know who's gives, who doesn't give, how they give, how you purpose for them to give. I don't know how you've spoken to people's hearts even as they've prayed about what they're going to give to Faith Promise Missions next year. I just pray they'd be obedient to you in that. Lord, maybe uh, we just need to come thank you for being so good to us, so giving to us, so generous with us. Lord, I don't know what needs to happen around the altar tonight. We just pray that your will would be done in all of it. 
Speak to hearts. Help us to be faithful stewards of everything you do for us, everything you give us. We pray you'll bless this invitation time. We thank you for your goodness and mercy to us. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen and amen. Some already come to the altar. You need to come. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Don't wait to see what somebody else does. You do what God wants you to do. Maybe you do just need to come and thank Him for being so faithful to you. Whatever He'd have you to do, just let God have His way.